This is Richard Wolfie Wolf, and you're listening to Wolf in Tune. You do that different every time. I got to tell you guys, I am unusually delighted to have finally ensnared my next guest, Erica Cruzen. Erica is the senior director of the organization devoted to the health and well-being of the music community, Music Cares, which, if you don't know, is the charitable arm of the Recording Academy, which, if you don't know, is the place that gives out the Grammys. And she's also a licensed marriage and family therapist, a co-founder of Core Advantage, which is a group that promotes health in the entertainment business, and she serves on the board of Rock to Recovery. Erica and I have done a lot of events together. She's got an incandescent mind and a huge heart. So let's kick this off. Okay, here we are, Erica. Hi. Hi. Great to be here. <laughs> yeah, great to hear each other. Let's pretend that we didn't spend the last two hours trying to figure out the microphones. Right. <laughs> I am technically challenged, I admit it. Well, I, I got to say, I've been challenged. It took me a year to get you uh, to come on the podcast, right? It's like almost exactly a year since I first proposed the idea. That's right. And we've done a lot of stuff in between, but I finally uh, corralled you into to doing this. So <laughs> you did. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. Happy to be here. So listen, for a lot of people in music, the whole world slowed down to a screeching halt because of the pandemic. Right. No live shows, no touring. Everybody rolled up into a big ball of confusion. Right. But for you, and, and you were always busy, but for you, it seems that things just, you know, amped up to a higher level. You know, it was more hectic than it's ever been before. Yeah. You just trying to get me on the phone was tough. You know, in, in March when we were trying to, to just oh, yeah, connect yeah, to yeah. say hello, right? We were working from, you know, 8 a.m. until 10 p.m. all day long, you know, and, and I couldn't, I could not handle any of my own personal stuff. All of that had to sit to the side to address this pandemic through Music Cares. So I want to know why, but, but let's assume that nobody knows what Music Cares is, okay? Okay. I mean, I know for my end... For a long time, I just thought Music Cares. I knew that they were helping musicians. I didn't know how, but I knew they had a big event with big stars. Right. Always just before the Grammys. I, mean, I remember when Bob Dylan oh. won the Nobel Prize in Literature, the first time in history that a songwriter won the Nobel Prize in Literature. But he didn't show up for that. But then he was honored by Music Cares. There he showed up. He showed up. He didn't sing. But he made a great speech, though. He, he made a 45-minute speech. You could hear a pen drop in that room. It was yeah. amazing. It's an amazing speech, a very famous speech. So, so tell us, what is Music Cares? Well, for those that don't know, um, Music Cares is quite simply a safety net that was created uh, for the music industry in times of need. It was created by the Recording Academy, which you know um, as the Grammys, the, that that big telecast, um, they have an they have an arm, a charitable arm that's called Music Cares. We're a five hundred one c three. We were started in nineteen eighty nine. Um, we offer financial assistance for not just musicians. I heard you say musicians earlier, and that's a myth that some people believe. But it's actually for any music professional. If you provide 
documents, flyers, check stubs, that you have been working in the industry for at least five years earning an income, you will qualify. So if you are a uh, music photographer, a videographer, a engineer, producer, a music executive, so not just your bass player, drummer, singer that everyone assumes, uh, there are many professions, many music professionals that qualify for our assistance. Well, I'm really glad you corrected my uh, attempts at misinformation. It's not only musicians, it's all these uh, other industry professionals. Right? Yeah, which is really great because there's not any other charitable organization that assists everyone in right. the industry. And then that we assist all genres as well because there's you've got the California Jazz Foundation, you've got you know uh, Rhythm and Blues Foundation. There's all these different organizations that address genres, but not one that covers everyone and all music. Right. So when should a person reach out to Music Cares? At what point? As soon as they need help. But it's a good question. Um, we do ask for them to show a financial need. So if a client has quite a bit of savings, uh, is making a lot of money, this isn't the, this isn't the first stop for you. This right. is an, a short-term emergency financial assistance program. Okay. So you're coming to us at the end, but not too late, so that we have time <laughs> to actually address your need and, and get a payment out before, say, for your rent before you would get kicked out. Oh, so you, you help with the rent. We do. So we will help with things for on our financial assistance program. We'll help with basic living expenses such as rent, utilities, car payments, health insurance, auto insurance, and the list goes on. Medical needs, dental needs, psychotherapy and mental health, psychiatry. And then we have a substance abuse program where mm -hmm. we'll help someone get into treatment. And that could be inpatient or outpatient. It could be detox and sober living. So anywhere that we can meet you where you are, we'll, we will do that. And then we have a disaster relief program, and that's for things like the floods, hurricanes, as we see every year, uh, the fires, which unfortunately are happening right now, and then, of course, COVID-19. Right. As far as substance abuse is concerned, I mean, that's very well known. I have personal experience with that with people that I know that got help from Music Cares for their addiction problems and sing praises of Music Cares for helping them out, getting them sober. That's, that's pretty well known throughout the, the music world. Right. How do you, I mean, if, I mean there's got to be so much need for help for people in the music industry. How do you determine, I mean, you have a limited amount of help you can give. So how do you determine the boundaries? You know, how much you can give a person? Is there a limit to one person or for a certain need? Let's say we have a, this kind of budget for substance abuse and this kind of budget for paying the rent or, you know, how do you determine that? You're right. We do. And it's, it's a loosely based because everything is case by case basis. We look at many factors uh, to a client that comes to us. Where are they? What's their financial need? Do they have small children in the house? Are they elderly? Are they on a fixed income? We assess all that through a financial income and income statement, basically, and, and bank statements and tax 
tax returns. So we look at the whole picture. But our team is really great at being fiscally responsible and managing that money weekly so that hopefully by the end of the year, we've never had to turn anyone away that qualifies. So we will ebb and flow, certainly. Um, and we know that with substance abuse in particular, it's a small percent of the total clients that we right. serve, but it eats a large portion of our budget. So we do need to, to be careful and watch those funds. But where we're fortunate is we have a lot of really great providers across the country, whether that be psychiatrists, medical doctors, therapists, addiction treatment facilities that all reduce their rates um, so that our dollars can go farther. Yeah, so you mentioned the fires. So right now we have these fires going on. So what is, yeah. what are you hearing? What are people applying for that's due to the fires? So the calls are just starting to come in. It, usually with fires it ta- and floods, it will take about a week or so before we'll, we'll start getting those calls because they really don't, maybe don't know where to turn. So it's getting that word out. And secondly, they're they're assessing their own situation, their own shock, right? Right. Um, before they start looking at that and probably insurance and everything else that would would assist them. So by the time they get to us, and I'm going to speak on the past um, right. from previous fires, they come to us and they have lost everything, you oh know. Boy. And so there will be there might be a question for you know, I, I've lost everything. I've, I need to replace my guitar. I can't even play music to help support my livelihood. So we'll help with that. They may just need some basic living expenses. They may have temporary housing, but then need to get groceries or toiletries. And we can help with that. We can also, um, help with if, if it was car rental or hotel stay for a couple of days, say someone's insurance isn't kicking in right away, then we, we can assist with that. And then finally, mental health issues usually come up around mm-hmm. this and, and people need to see a therapist. Mm. And what about that guitar that got burned up? Well, so truth be told, we can't likely replace the complete value of that guitar, right. uh, but we work closely with places like Guitar Center who will sometimes match what we're what we can put in and help at least get them something that can get them back out, you know, playing their gigs or out oh. on the road. Oh, that's interesting. So you yeah. have kind of a partnership with Guitar Center somewhat. And Gibson. Right? Gibson's been really right. a really strong partner with us and we can call them up and they can give them loaners. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's really nice. So, harking back to before the pandemic, yeah, and I'm assuming some of this is going to change post-pandemic, but going back before the pandemic, what were the major reasons? I mean, it sounds like there's a whole variety of reasons why people go to Music Cares. Right. Um, it, was there anything that stuck out as you know prominent in terms of what, what people needed? Sure. And... Um, you know, for many years, I started with the company back in 2007, mm-hmm. and um, I think at that time we were giving out approximately $1.4 million in aid to about 1,100 people. Don't quote me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
and now our average year is about 6,500 to 7,500 clients assisted with about 6 million in aid. So you can see we how much we've grown and the trend continues right. inc- to increase every year. But I would say when I started, we saw a huge, uh, uh, well, I'll say this, a lot of our dollars were going toward medical and addiction recovery. And the medical piece was interesting because what we saw was that most people didn't have health insurance. And, mm-hmm. you know, until Obamacare came along, we were really fighting that one. And we were trying to connect people with organizations that would help them secure low cost uh, health insurance or catastrophic plans, even just to get them something. And so many of the music industry, I guess, just took the risk um, that. They, they wouldn't have an issue, especially the young kids, you know, the, the young 20-year-olds. They don't think, they, they'll gamble it. They'll, they don't think that they're going to get hurt or in a, a bad car accident. And if they need to go to urgent care, they can probably cover that bill, right? Right. So we did a huge focus. We made a huge, made it a priority to focus on hosting these panels across the country about health insurance and how easy you can get it and find it and secure it and and can sometimes be a low cost. And then Obamacare came and we were strong advocates for people getting signed up for that. And we've seen a great reduction in the request for medical issues because of, of health insurance plans across the country. It's been fantastic to see. However, we still have it because people still have co-pays. They still have major, major accidents. And unfortunately, people still don't have health insurance. Right. But you had a little glimmer of good news right there saying you're seeing less demand for the medical help. Correct. Okay. Well, that's always good to welcome some kind of uh, good news. Yeah. And and we also, what we started doing too, is having these really great we, we call it Healthy Essentials, and we have about 300 of these workshops across the country a year, and these are panels, workshops, or free clinics that offer things like vocal health and hearing screenings, uh, mammograms, and dental workshops, and, and the list will go on for that, repetitive stress injuries. And so people can come in, get some education, maybe get a scope get some sort of a free exam and so a little bit of work done and they've all of a sudden found their home with a local doctor or physician and then they've also had some work done that it's not so scary because we found a lot of people were calling going oh I haven't been to the doctor in years one was because of financial the other was like I don't know what I'm going to find same with the dentist and they were afraid of that big monster that might come out of a bill and all this work you need done. So they were just avoiding it. Right. You know, and and so we started providing these and they've been amazing. Well that's that's really great. Yeah. And and you mentioned before twenty year olds. So when you talk about people wanting medical assistance, what is the demographic there? Well, music care's demographic primarily rests in the thirty five to forty and up. But because of our outreach at festivals, we're seeing more and more of the younger, the 20 to 28-year-olds coming and, and requesting assistance for a number of things. All right. Can you talk a little about now the COVID-19 Relief Fund? 
yeah. and what that is and how it came about and what you're doing with it? Sure. Um, well, about March 15th, we started hearing a lot of, you know, the week before, the couple weeks before, we started hearing a lot of news of it, you know, coming through, and we started getting calls from people. And as a team, we looked at it and said, you know, this could be huge. But still, everyone was kind of skeptical of everything. And, you know, you heard those, those no, that noise about, oh, it's just a flu or a bad flu. Mm. And, and so we were kind of watching it. And then all of a sudden, it seems like it happened overnight, that it was here and it was inundating our, our communities and um, especially our music industry when everything just started to shut down and... Um, we started receiving probably 500 calls a day. And so Music Cares partnered with the Recording Academy for the first $2 million in aid. And what we did was we were immediately giving, we, we kind of went back to how we handled Katrina, where we just needed to give grants out straight away to people for their rent, for their basic living expenses, whatever they needed. And it was $1,000 a pop. Per, per each client. Mm -hmm. And um, the need became so large that we were, we couldn't, you know, our team, we're, we're a, a, we serve a large amount of people, but our team is very small. Right. You know, there's only 11 of us that do what we do and that's spread out across the country. And all of a sudden it was, there's a thousand, there's 2000, there's 3000, there's 4,000 in the first month and we knew the need was going to get going to get so big, and so we started reaching out to other partners and the PROs and um, artists and and the agencies and labels and everyone was so generous to Music Cares, and they knew that if they got that their donations to Music Cares, it would go in the right hands and be utilized well. And so to date, since I think it was whatever that first week of March 15th was when we started the fund. Um, we have assisted over 18,000 people. Wow. And we've raised just over $20 million. Um, and that was all for um, COVID relief. And it was, we, we had over 1,300 artists do live streams for us. We had... Mm. The list goes on. TikTok and Spotify and all those large giants came out and, and donated. And it it was really beautiful to see because the requests that were coming in were coming in faster than we were getting the pledge donations. And so it was that fine balancing act, you know, of people completely stressed out financially and and needing our assistance, but not being able to get it out as fast as we had, we would have liked. But Ultimately, we did, um, and, and people were patient for the most part. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we, it, was, it was a feat, and we, um, it's the largest relief effort we've done in our history. That is so fantastic. Yeah. That is really so cool. great. Really proud of the organization and what we were able to do. Well, yeah, and you didn't add any more people, did you? No. Right. No. Wow. So you went from 1.4 million or something like that to 20 million. Well, 1.4 was in 2007. Okay. Last year was roughly around um, 
6.5 million. Okay. Well, you went from yeah. helping a few thousand people, maybe tripled to eighteen thousand people. We 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 did for our COVID relief. We actually served three years worth of, of clients. Right. And so now, not that the pandemic isn't over and people aren't still struggling, but now we've kind of come back because we see that the industry is still not back. It's and we don't know when it's going to come back. I was first hearing fall and then it was spring and then summer and now it's next fall 2021. And so that's a year and a half of of these people out of work and um so we had to pull back and just focus on okay, we're it's music cares. We're still going to help people who come to us and their their request is for COVID relief. Um, but we're, you know, still focusing on the medical and the dental and the psychotherapy and addiction recovery and all of that because we now know everything's pretty much going to be due to COVID. So you mentioned these uh, aspects just now, and I was just wondering if during COVID you have certain areas, whether it's dental or psychotherapy, that are intensified in terms of their needs, or is it just the same areas, the same proportions, just bigger numbers of people that need it? It's bigger numbers of people that need it. However, now that we are, what, uh, five months, six months into the pandemic, Mm -hmm. now we're starting to see the things like mental health, and addiction issues on the rise. Right. And that's what's scary. And we knew it was going to happen. Um, so what we've done is we've increased our numbers of groups. So Music Cares used to have seven in-person groups throughout the country for the touring professionals. So when they were on the road, they could stop and go into a sober support group. Um, now what we've done is we've made five of those online so people, you can be anywhere and you can zoom into this sober support group. And then we have three emotional health support groups that are online. And those are weekly. And they're, you can find them on our website at musiccares.org. And anyone, anywhere can, can go and be a part of those. So that was one way that we've addressed that issue or tried to. Because even the hardest thing is, a lot of the treatment centers now have restrictions on who can come in, how long they have to quarantine before. So it's making it really tough for someone who wants to get immediate help for their addictions or, or mental health. Can you explain a little bit about this, these groups, the silver groups or what were, and the sober other Sober group? groups? Yeah. Oh, sober yeah, sorry. Oh, I sober, thought you said okay. Sober. Well, I'm I'm groups. from New York. You know, if you if you say <laughs> sober, uh, silver, it's I mean whatever. So sober groups. Okay, could you? What is a sober? A sober support group is just that. It's people that are somewhere in any stage of recovery, and it would be like uh, what similar to an AA meeting, except we don't run it as an AA meeting. We run it as a process group for those in recovery, and then the cyber. That was the difference between the sober and the cyber. Thank the you. Ci- <laughs> cyber emotional health groups are are essentially group therapy. Right. For mental health issues. And that could be relationship issues. It could be anxiety towards COVID relief. It could be depression. It could be just they can't get to their regular therapist, so they need some other support. 
So does that really work? I mean, I think a positive aspect would be, okay, I'm in a group and I know everybody in this group is a music head like I am and experiences some of the same stresses being in the music world. So that's cool. But mm-hmm. if, if don't people have like, um, and this probably relates to this whole idea of group therapy, because I don't know much about that, but is, is it effective when people have their own unique problems uh, to go to group therapy? What if you, what if you don't want to go to a group therapy? What, what if you don't want to expose what's bothering you and Great question, because a lot there are people that don't want to do that, and they want their individual therapists, and they can still call Music Cares, and we can refer them. We have got a, a expansive list of therapists throughout the country that now the great thing, because of COVID, restrictions have been eased for therapists to use telehealth, and um, so we can refer them to a therapist that they can do a one-on-one Zoom uh, call or FaceTime or however you want to do it. Um, to have individual therapy. But group therapy, I think a lot of people end up liking it because there is this community, this collective group that they do share and can relate to. And even if they come in hoping to talk about their problem, they might end up feeling some relatability and relief by helping others, you know, in the group. Right. And you yourself... Besides all of this, you have a background. I mean, you are a therapist, right? You're, Correct. Um, yeah. I don't know what the term, the official professional term is. Is therapist is the term? Is I that? say therapist. <laughs> yeah. 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 So now you're used to dealing with these kinds of problems, not on the scale. This is just on a greater scale, but pretty much you're used to dealing with these individual stressors that musicians might have yeah. and the sort of generic stressors that people have. Uh, how do you, when it gets scaled up so intensely as it is during COVID with so many people and such demand on your attention, right? How do you stay hmm. balanced and uh, stable during all of this and <laughs> not go crazy yourself? That's a good question. <laughs> and if you find the answer, let me know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I um, have an idea, but I want to hear from you. <laughs> I am a huge proponent of self-care. And what self-care means to me is really making time each day to do something that you love or do something that makes you feel good, um, mind, body, and soul. And that could be anything from taking a walk, riding my bicycle, uh, reading, uh, meditating, using you know, taking a bath, cooking something new, um, watching a good program, and truth be told, disconnecting when I can, you know, from from my own phone and emails and social media and things like that, and especially the news. And I, you know, that's the one that I, that's the big one that I tell everyone, especially now with not even, not even just COVID, but politics, and it's only going to ramp up. So, You've got to make sure you disconnect. And one thing I tell my clients is you can even set an alarm. If you're one of those people that love social media and just kind of scroll whenever you're bored, you know, it really affects you. Even though you think it doesn't, you can scroll through and your mind is still picking up everything, even though you're not stopping at each place. Um, And there's a lot of negative crap out there right now. And so set an alarm and 
shut shut it off for an hour. You're going to literally shut your phone off or your computer and you're going to go do something else for yourself that's more of a healthy activity, working out, yoga, you know, anything um, that will just allow your brain to have a change in direction. When you say set an alarm, on your phone. And I hate to say kids these days, right. <laughs> you know, because it's adults too. But um, set an alarm on your phone that you know it's been an hour. Or if you're scrolling. Wait a minute. So a- you set an alarm before you go on social media and you set it for an hour. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Okay. Or if you're on it or the exact opposite. If you're on it, set an alarm and 10 minutes is all I can spend on it right now. Mm. And then the alarm goes off and that's your thing. Okay, I got to set it down. You know, it takes a little practice for people, but it's, I'm seeing it work. And the amount of anxiety that's reduced just in a little act like that is great. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. That's some good advice. I've been asked for some good advice on this issue and I don't have much, but that sounds good. Do you have any other advice on this issue of social media? In addiction and involvement and yeah obsession yeah and you know with for artists in particular it's so hard there is so so much social media bullying and that's what's really hard and 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 the younger generation has grown up on social media so it's natural for these artists to look and read every comment and it's dangerous uh, because you know they may have. 10,000 really great comments and there'll be one that they focus in on and why didn't they like that song? And that's part of some of the reasons that I see when I work with musicians in private practice is, you know, that bullying and that, that insecurity that pops up for them, you know, I mean, and that rejection is so tough. You're putting your art out to the world to have it eaten, you know, alive, if you will. And that is the one thing that I can I see causes stress and anxiety and depression and isolation and then loneliness and then we go toward the really bad things of addiction and then suicide, you yeah. know. I mean, somebody mentioned it's compare and despair. Mm-hmm. Like when you're an artist, oh, this other artist who's like me, whatever, they got a thousand more likes than or streams than I did. Oh yeah. And, you know, then they despair about what they're doing. The, the problem is the catch-22 is you can't avoid, if you're an artist, you need the social media. I mean, once in a while, I think J. Cole claimed that he didn't have any social media. He certainly has a lot now. Right. But, but that's the problem is that you need that social media if you're an artist because, you know, you want to get heard by yeah. people. So having some kind of strategy to balance yourself um, maybe what you do is is have a meditation practice. You and do. That, <laughs> and that teaches you, and a mindfulness practice too. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I think is effective is before you go on social media, let's say you're looking at your phone and you know you're going to hit that button, whatever it is, <laughs> that Instagram button, you stop and you say, okay, I know, you know you're aware of what's happening at that moment. You connect with your breathing. You connect with whatever is happening in your body and you just pause. You just stop. That's right. 
The mindfulness pause. Right. Well, uh, yes, I know. I know you're a big fan of the power of pause, <laughs> yes. which you've coined, and we're gonna we're gonna get it, we're gonna get to that. Um, but yeah, I think that's effective. Is to to pause before you you go on social media. Then you go on social media and you get maybe you get a nice ego boost, a little dopamine there, mm-hmm. um, and maybe it turns out okay. Which is why you keep coming back. But then. And then the disaster happens. But if you've conditioned yourself and trained yourself to be able to tolerate uncomfortable feelings and right. feedback, it takes practice and it takes training. Right. That could be very, very helpful. But it really is so, it's like a, it's like a quagmire. It's like yeah. stepping into tar. If you're, anything that you're doing that's trying to, you know, need an audience, but certainly for music people, that's such a, a trap. It is. And, you know, if, if you're fortunate enough to have a team, a social media team that can handle it for you, you know, that can post for you and, and keep up um, with all mm. of that, that's great. But for those who, who don't, I always say no one's, no one's going to miss you for a day. You know, mm. no one, you don't need to post anything. You don't need to find out anything for a day. It's okay. And so it takes a lot of practice it takes a lot of training like you said but it can be done yeah i like that idea so like one day a week is that yeah your day of mindfulness or your day of abstention or whatever day of peace yeah we, we, we've even done that at music cares before because we have such a great organization that really cares and you know all of the directors are uh, licensed therapists social workers chemical dependency counselors and so we all really take mental health seriously and we have had those days where you shut off for a day you know no no emails this morning even on a work day even on a work day yeah which is hard for us to do and Um, you know, one of, and we do, they're more like challenges. Of course, we've got to address, you know, phone calls and, and emergencies and things like that. But what, you know, we've, we've even had challenges where when you wake up, don't, don't turn that email on until you've gotten dressed and you're at, at the office or you're starting your work day. Um, because that can even set you in that wrong headspace when you're just waking up, that tends to be when everyone flips on the phone, you know, scrolls left and looks at those news right. feeds. That's true. And, um, you know, and you just, then you possibly potentially start your day off wrong. Right. That's so true. And you may not even know why you're feeling that way, but it's something that, you know, you, you addressed in that, those first five minutes of waking up versus planting your feet and grounding yourself and, you know, doing a, a, a slight meditation or a mantra of how that day is going to look, you know? Yeah, I need to take that advice to heart. It, <laughs> it, it, it makes a lot of sense. You're setting a tone, right? You, you, right. you, you pick up the phone, okay, what happened in the world today? Especially now yeah. when the news is, you know, so important, it seems, and every day is another crisis. Right. Well, and it's important to stay informed, but at what level, you know, at how much is too much, how much reading or, fil- you know, bringing in and not being able to filter is too much. And that's where, where you have to find that balance. Right. And that goes back to what you were saying about self-care. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important too, is that every day you set aside something. And you know, the what could also be self care is maybe you're doing something to help the environment. You know, right. maybe you're doing something to help the situation of inequality. Right, the communities. And, yeah, that's also yourself. Mm-hmm. That's your universal self. True. And that's also part of self care. And True. that can also be very gratifying, you know. One of the greatest things I've seen when people come out of treatment, addiction recovery treatment, um, and they're, you know, still struggling to get their feet on the ground, um, but they have this new lease on life, if you will. And getting people involved in service to others and your community you're right, does wonders. It does wonders for their outlook and what they're capable of doing, their Mm self-worth, you know, and um, just being able to help another when when they've just gone through getting help is is pretty pretty great. Yeah. That's part of the strategy, right? Service Mm -hmm. to others. That's one of the factors that, uh, yes, very helpful. So speaking of service to others, when you started to get into psychotherapy, um, I'm assuming you weren't thinking, okay, I'm going to help artists and people mm-hmm. in the music industry, or, or did you go in with that intention? I didn't go in with that intention, although I had, before I went to graduate school, I had volunteered for Music Cares, you know, oh. and I had, I had grown up in the music industry um, with people in my family and things like that. But so I was around it enough to know that I enjoyed work, um, being in the population, you know, and, and being able to talk to people on a, on a different kind of level. Um, but I did not know I, that's the field I was going to go into. And I, in fact, I started working with teens and I was working in teen treatment and, probably some of the hardest population you'll find yourself in as a therapist um, was teens and gangs and drugs and abuse and um, in the system. You know, 75% of the facility I worked were probation. So it was a tough, tough one that nearly pushes you out of the industry. Um, But it was a life-changing experience and a great education to, to start out on. And um, then I started private practice and I started teaching in graduate school. Oh. And, uh, um, and then I went back to Music Cares and, set, and offered my services at a low cost or, you know, free in some instances. And that's how they brought me in. They said, actually, we have a position open you'd be great for. And that's how I got the job. But then because of that and because of friends and my, you know, family of of music people, it just word of mouth was how I started working with entertainment people and kind of built my practice like that. So working with so many people in music... Do you sense right now that there are some trends in the music industry that you think are not helpful that might need to be addressed in terms of mental health specifically? Right, correct. 
You know, I think the culture for so many years and the wider entertainment industry has always supported excess mm. and supported <laughs> all uh, yes, yes people, yes men, you know, and and so you know the seventies, drugs, sex, rock and roll, right? Mm -hmm. And then as we moved through the the years and specifically over the last 10 to 15 years when we started losing some of our greatest icons due to mental health issues or addiction issues, that is where we started to see a shift. And that shift is now a shift that is starting to reduce the stigma of needing help and asking for help. And, and I say I'm grateful for it. You know, it took long enough. It took losing our favorites, you know, my favorites, right. you know, sure. and, and people that I knew and loved. And for this industry to say, okay, what do we do? Right. And it's got to start from the top, from the, the top mm. of the record labels, the top of the agencies, the, the top of the promoters. Um, and it's got to trickle down to their staff and then their staff, how their staff treats artists that, that they work for. Um, and that no one should be afraid to ask for help. Everyone should know kind of what to look for and not be afraid to be that bridge to say, hey, I can help. I might not know what to say. I might not, might not know what to do, but I bet I can ask around and find some resources for you. And I think that we are embarking on that age where we're seeing that kind of beautiful shift with all these organizations and companies and label heads and artists um, saying it's okay. And by the way, it's okay to be sober and be a rock and roll star. You know what mm -hmm, I mean? Mm -hmm. Where, where, and it's, and you don't have to glorify it anymore. And nobody, nobody cares. And, and in fact, nobody wants to take a risk on that anymore. You know, no one has that, that financial backing to take a risk on you like that. And so again, we're seeing a shift that's really nice where I just read this company out of Canada. They're called Royal, Royal Mountain, I think. Uh, record label. Mm -hmm. They announced late last year they're giving $1,500 to every client on their roster toward mental health that they do not have to pay back. Mm -hmm. So it starts mm. like that. You know, Live Nation is starting um, different programs. There's there's a number of of industry resources, and then Music Cares is there to always help. Right, but your point about it starting at the top is very well taken uh in terms of artists speaking up that's also a good trend i mean you have people in hip-hop like kendrick lamar mm -hmm. talking about meditation and how it's helpful and yeah. j cole meditate don't medicate mm -hmm. joey right. badass talking about it. different artists lizzo i know talks about it somewhat and that's good I i've had some discussions with managers and ask them about that. And some managers, I haven't had a ton, but with some that have some pretty big clients told me, well, I'm not responsible for 
mm. you know, so-and-so's mental health. That's, you know, I mean, and as you say... Makes my blood boil. <laughs> the drugs, you know, drugs, sex, and rock and roll is baked into the the myth of right. pop music, right? Yeah. I mean, this goes back a long way. I mean, it goes back all the way to jazz. You know, Louis, right. Arm, Louis Armstrong with his cocaine and his handkerchief. And, True. And Miles Davis with his heroin hat. You know, so... This has been a problem for a very long time. Yeah. It would be nice if it really grew in in uh, force, you know, and I'm not sure it's happening. And you, and you seem more optimistic than I am. Well, I always try to be optimistic, but I have, I am seeing change. Honestly, I'm seeing changes and I'm also seeing changes in the number of clients that come to Music Cares for mental health. When I first started, it was nearly zero. And now it's weekly. Wow. Yeah. So that's what gives me hope, too, is that people are reaching out. Managers Mm. are reaching out for their artists. Artists are reaching out for themselves or or other bandmates. And, you know, it's unfortunate that we're getting the calls, but I love it because that means that people are less afraid. And that's what we and that's what we need. It needs to be. And I know everybody's heard this. It needs to be treated the same way we treat diabetes or heart disease or or anything like that you're sick you're sick you need help you need help you go to the doctor there's nothing wrong with coming to a therapist great point so you mentioned and this has been uh, on the tip of my tongue for the last 10-15 minutes but you talked about your meditation as part of your self-care and I know you have a little bit different method of meditation (laughs) could you walk us through it a little bit Sure. You know, when I was younger, and look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this out in case my mom's listening. I had a great childhood. <laughs> <laughs> but there was something in the evenings I would have trouble going to sleep. And I think I was probably 11 or 12, somewhere in middle school age. Um, and I just learned my own way. Nobody told me what meditation was. I don't, I don't know if I knew that word for many years after. Um, but I just learned to kind of lay still and breathe and go to a really beautiful place in my mind that was always for some reason a meadow, a big green yard mm-hmm. somewhere. And I could almost see, see myself as a helicopter flying over. You know, mm-hmm. you could see yourself laying there and just focus on calming the mind and, and pushing out all of the other stuff from that day because I don't know if you're like me and a lot of other people at the end of the night when you crawl into bed the tv goes off the lights go off the books go off and it's quiet that's when your mind goes oh what do I need to do tomorrow I should have said this today I should have done that I can't believe I didn't get to the and it just kind of races and if you bring I learned quickly if you bring yourself to center I didn't know that word either um but if you just kind of focus on your breathing or a place or a thought, it's almost completely difficult to think about something else. Your brain can't really focus mm-hmm. on two things at the same time. Um, and so I learned to do that so well that that's how I would fall asleep. So now I love meditating. I'll meditate in the morning, during the day, at night, whenever I just feel like it, if I've got 
a podcast that I have to speak on. <laughs> I'll I will turn on my oil diffuser with this Zen music. I will watch Zen stop. I will do any number of insight timer, you know, kind of things or just my own just to kind of come back to center and push everything out, else out and allow my brain to just be that art of just being. Right. And that's how I, I do it. But it takes practice. Not everybody, you know, I teach I, every single one of my clients. I talk about meditation all the time to probably where they're, they're tired of hearing me say that. But I think it's so important. And it's a practice that they have to get into. You have to make it a routine. Tie in your shoe every morning. You're going to do your meditation every morning. Right. Exactly. It's training, conditioning. Your body and your mind together. Right. It's conditioning everything, your emotions, your body, and your mind to work together to find that space of silence, stillness, of just pure awareness. Without right. consciousness, without contents, you know, and the thoughts will come. You mentioned, well, okay, it's more like the thoughts come, you can't stop them, you can't control them, uh, but you realize that you've been thinking. Right. And and you go back to, you know, just the space of your consciousness. Right. Um, and it has so many benefits. I mean, it's just like a bouquet of yeah. different flowers. Uh, I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a spectrum, right? And there's so yeah. many benefits you can get from that. Um, and it, it's great that you, that you discovered this when you were a child. Um, and we've we've talked about this before, how uh, organic that was for you, and and I had something similar about sitting in a chair, and as if the chair was in a black hole, and oh, wow. you're just you know connected to your existence and your yeah. awareness of your existence. Yeah. We talked. I briefly alluded to pausing before going on your cell phone or whatever. And I know you have a, a more systematic approach to uh, what you call the power of pause. And I think that's a practice too, right? But that's a practice that you do at any point. Could you talk more about that? Sure. And it's really, you know, a mindfulness pause, which I know you speak a lot about. And um, it's kind of like, I'll always say, you know, that email that you get or that conversation you have with a coworker, or, you know, every day we're caught off guard where our ancient system in our brain wants, you know, that, that automatic system that tells us to fight or to snap back or to type away really fast because you're triggered or angry. And it's it's kind of it's an evolutionary thing for us right, right. we it, it's helpful in times of f real physical danger a bear's chasing us right. run you know it helps us in that way but in a psychological way in an everyday way it becomes a more harmful coping mechanism if you will and mm. um, and in that I talk about pausing and how beneficial this pause is. And I work on this with clients too. Um, you can think of 
things like an actual stop sign. I've, I've printed out so many stop signs and colored them really red and, and post them up so that you have, cause I'm a visual person, mm. you know, or just the words written out stop or the words written out pause. And if you, my thought is, you know, mindfulness can help you create that space between that stimulus and your response, right? Absolutely. And that pause gives us that time to go, am I just reacting or am I responding in a skillful way? You know, and even if it's a couple seconds, a couple minutes or a day, train yourself to take that time. Be mindful of that pause, sit with it. Let's just take for example, the email comes in and it's, a barrage of, of something you're doing wrong from a coworker or something like that. Your immediate reaction is, I am going to write back and tell this person where it is, you know? Mm -hmm. And you, but if you say, no, I'm not, I'm going to pause. I'm going to feel, I'm going to pause and feel that trigger. I'm going to acknowledge that trigger because it's okay. It's natural. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get angry about it. And I'm going to just kind of observe it a little bit. And then maybe that feeling goes away in a few seconds. Maybe that feeling goes away tomorrow, mm -hmm. you know? And sometimes, you know, I've had people go, well, you can't, you don't always have the time. What if you have to respond right back to someone? What if they're in front of your face? Well, you can still take a few seconds. And I guarantee you that just taking a pause and being mindful of, okay, where's this, where the stimulus, where's it coming from? Mm -hmm. Is, is this me? Is this have something to do with me and my part in this? Or is this someone else and, and maybe has more to do with what's going on in their day or their personal life or whatever, and a number of things that could be going on, but to just give you enough, a few seconds or a few minutes to kind of assess that think about it, and then maybe, just maybe, respond a little bit better, you know? Mindful eating, same kind of thing. When you're stressed, you might, like me, I'll eat up that ice cream, you know? Mm. Um, taking a bite and setting your fork down, you know? We can, we can transfer this to so many different ways of pausing in our life that I truly believe if we do that and we're mindful about these pauses, that things will turn out much better. You know, what, what was it? Didn't, you probably know this, didn't Buddha say something about, and I'm getting this wrong, so gosh, um, but one peaceful word, you know, a pause is better than a thousand hollow words or something like that. I know it's wrong. It's terrible of me to even try and say that, but, you know. It's I ha true. I haven't heard that. I did hear one conscious breath. Okay, maybe yeah, it's it, maybe yeah. it's that. What, it, yeah. Wait, how do you say it? One conscious breath will uh, is worth a thousand days or something. I don't know, but it's well, worth we'll look a lot. That, we'll, we'll look that up. <laughs> it's worth think, a oh, lot. Oh, you know what it is? It's better than a thousand hollow words is one word that brings peace. Uh, so, yeah. you know. But anyway, I mean, it's, it's just, 
I really believe in that space. And if you practice that space, like I explained, you know, you take that time and you're a, you pause and you literally in your mind say pause or stop or hold mm -hmm. and become aware of the physical part that's coming up for you, the emotional part, and then think about others. How is my, what, how is my reaction going to affect anybody around me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or my coworker or my family or, and then make a good judgment based on that. And if you practice that, you will get better at it. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about one word or one conscious breath, there, there's a term for that. People call that atomic moments of mindfulness. And it's atomic because just like an atom is tiny, yeah. but it has an enormous amount of energy bundled up within it. These moments, they add up in terms right. of conditioning yourself, as you say, to have some latency right. between the stimuli and the response to the stimuli. I mean, I learned the hard way about the email thing. I mean, that's a, that's, <laughs> that's a major, many, many eons ago when the internet was in its dawning age, I wrote an email to somebody in, in an anger and I regretted it so much that I made this rule, which I teach, by the way, all my students, never write an email in anger, ever. No. And never use the word you, unless you're gonna say, you are fantastic, you're marvelous. <laughs> but never right. accuse people with you did this or you. you right. You. So, it, so wait till you calm down and do not write that email until you're totally right. calm down. Even if you have to respond, you still have time, don't worry. That's right. You always have time. And make sure you're very calm and don't use the word you. Yeah. Unless you, you know, compliment somebody. Yeah. And if you're a public person, you know, going back to this industry or entertainment, you really have to be careful. You really have to watch what you post. You really have to pause before you respond to that Joe kid making some random comment on your Instagram. You know what I mean? Right. It also helps to shift your framework, your mental framework. When you look at things, it's called the locus of control. Yeah. And to know that, okay, the things like, you know, most everything I cannot control. The one thing I can control is how I respond to it. Exactly. And so we train when we sit in meditation and we are aware that we're thinking and these thoughts are coming up or these emotions are coming up. We're training ourselves to observe it. To have some, like we're watching a movie, we're not in the movie. Exactly. And so it's easier to have that distance between, you know, the emotion, your experience, and how you're going to respond. Right. So that's your pause right there. It's that there, there is that pause of, oh, I realize what my mind is doing. Right. And I'm able to observe it. And I kind of can nudge it in a certain way where it's less, we'll have less toxic repercussions. Right. Well, and it's almost like I was talking about being that helicopter over me when I meditate. It's you almost, you know, watch that raging river or that car accident down there below. Watch it from up here, this perspective, you know, versus being swept away in it. Yeah, that's sweet. I'm going to have to try that. I'm going to try the helicopter. Okay. Right. Visual. Well, it could be a... A bird. <laughs> now, are you synchronizing your breathing with the helicopter? Good question. No, I don't. I, I don't. I didn't think about that. But that's that's interesting. But there were times 
um, on just a personal note, when I had my son and I was at the hospital and I was in labor and I was like, oh, <laughs> holy cow, this is awful. <laughs> and outside my window, I was at University of Washington Hospital in Seattle. And outside my window, there were two smokestacks mm-hmm. and the smokestacks would puff. And that's how I did my breathing. Mm. I'll never forget that because I was, my heart rate was elevated and I was scared and, um, you know, I wanted to shut everything off and say, no, I don't want to do this. I changed my mind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was kind of taking a moment and leaning on my side and just looking at those smokestacks and breathing with those smokestacks. And it's amazing how I slowed everything down and was able to then refocus at the task at hand. So you train or you suggest to your clients, and you said you do this pretty emphatically, that they should have a meditation practice. Oh, yeah. And how does that work out for you? What are the what are the kind of results you get from that? Do they listen to you? No, oh, not yeah. right away. No. Mm-hmm. So how does it work? So, so. Well, so... I keep, I just keep at them and I keep telling them there is a proven benefit and I will send research to my clients. I'm one of those nerdy therapists. Um, but I also get them started if they've never had any practice with these great tools that we have online, like Calm or Headspace or Insight Timer, just to start it, just to hear what it's about. And then there's this new company well, I don't know how new they are, but they're new to me, um, called Zen Stop. They're out of LA and they converted a van, uh, a trailer, a bus, something like that into a Zen room. And they will come to corporation, corporate offices and you can take 10 minutes and go in and do this meditation. And it's beautiful. It's led and guided. They have sound baths and everything and comfortable pillows. Now, since COVID, it's all online and it's open to everybody and it's fantastic. And so I've been doing that probably once a week just because it's nice to have a guided person telling you what to do and have a change of pace, even in meditation. And so I direct my clients to, to that as well. Yeah, it's interesting. It's called a Zen room. I mean, the Zen way- stop. Oh, Zen stop. But you, you yeah. said it was like a Zen room. I mean, it's a Zen that- room. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you say Zen room, what I think of is how I started, which is a bare room and a guy in black robes with a branch that hits you in the back if he thinks oh, no. you're getting distracted. Oh, no. And that's a Zen room. <laughs> For me, it's like, I guess the the common word, if somebody hears you say Zen, you know, yeah. you're, you're set in position. And so this, to me, Zen is sound baths, quiet time comfortable pillows, beautiful Persian rugs, you know, things like that, that is just serene, a serene place to go and meditate um, with a a lovely voice. Yeah. Well, I think the term with you Zen room like that is to, it's like what karaoke is to singing that is to Zen. Uh, But Sure. Yeah. It's a it's a way of stretching the word, but it's nice that that there are these resources that you're talking about, and that you can send people to that and get them started. And yeah, and then it's, it's great because then I'll get texts 
you know, sometime in the middle of the day and be like, oh man, I checked out Insight Timer. It's pretty cool. I did one on whatever, you know, and then I'm like, okay, yes, because once they do a few, and you may have found this, once you tell someone about it and they do it and they like it, then they get into it and they'll utilize it more. You know, it's almost like the gym. You hate the thought of getting there, but when you get there, you feel good afterwards and then you want to do it again. Yeah, I don't really, personally, I, I don't recommend it, um, but I cannot argue the fact that I know people that swear by it and it, yeah. they've, they've been helped by Headspace, Calm, Insight Timer. And yeah. you can't fight the facts. Right. I mean, it's very, very helpful. Ultimately, you hope that they will graduate to exactly. listening to their own inner voice, their own inner sound, their own For inner sure. silence. But as a way to get started, I mean, and but some people can't even sit and listen uh, and, and to these things. They, they, they just won't set aside the time and you need to take them by the hand. And yeah. I, I work with some people that can't sit. So we do walking meditation, you know, over the, over the phone. Yeah. Um, and it works, you know, they listen and they walk and they're aware of their feet on the ground that walking on, on earth is more of a miracle than walking on water or walking on the moon. Yeah. And, yes. <laughs> and they learn how to walk like free people, free of the past and free of the future. Yeah. Um, so those are, are alternates. Uh, I don't know if you, do you ever use that, uh, those, or, or mindfulness or just like, okay, you know, when you re reach for the phone or reach for the door, or your toothbrush pause. And yeah, I mean, like I was saying, I've, how I've printed out, I don't know, hundreds of stop signs. <laughs> Google that's a great. cartoon stop sign and mm. even, and and post them up and you know that's more a lot of that is just learning to regulate your emotions right and um, it it's all connected so and it, and it can be different degrees of anger and reactivity you know and if you can learn this pause and you can learn meditation and mind being mindful then. I think you're going to do yourself a lot of good going forward. Do you think there's anything particular about music heads that makes it it maybe easier or makes it them have an affinity for these kind of practices or certain ways of indulging or or experiencing these practices? Have you have you ever thought of that or noticed anything there? When I've read your book. <laughs> 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 um, I've been waiting all this time I for you to know, say that, <laughs> right? Right. No, that's no. that's where I've learned it. Um, and your and your awesome uh, panel speaking. Well, thank um, you. Yes, for sure. I mean, uh, of course, introduced to it through you, and then do I do I see? By the that way, I naturally? wasn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't thinking about that when I asked you. Honestly, <laughs> sure. <laughs> By the way, this is a. Uh, uh, in tune with Richard Wolf, <laughs> <laughs> buy his book. It's great. Um, it has to, right? Um, there, uh, with creativity and learning to to take your your mindset to a different place, and uh, it it all has to come together. You know, um, do I do I think that music people can reach that easier? Is that that the question? I mean, I think that they can, music people can sit 
with their emotions easier. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. in my experience, let me clarify that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can be more introspective mm-hmm. with with that idea. They could be more um, curious about yeah. investigating. Yeah. Because they already do that, right? Right. And their songwriting and right. and progression of chords right. or, you know. Right. That's that's really key. I never thought of that, be able to investigate because you want to know where is this coming from. Yeah. Why am I feeling this? Where am I feeling it in my body? Right. And it becomes more of a of an examination rather than an involvement. Sure. An, an entrapment or an enrapturement or enchantment. Yeah. That's a good point. Hmm. I'll have to add that to the book somehow in the next edition. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Cruising. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) So, I mean, we've, I think, is there anything that we didn't discuss that you want to discuss at all or mention? I don't think so. This is, this is great. Fun. You and I can always talk for hours, I feel. Sometimes we'll yeah. be talking like this in a conversation and I look up and I'm like, holy cow, it's been an hour. I know. So it's, it's a really great um, friendship and working relationship that I think we have. And I think that both of us, you know, want to see our community heal and um, work, be able to work through uh, the many challenges that this industry is faced with. And, you know, I think we're on the same page with self-care and, and, you know, taking the time to meditate and be mindful. And I got to say, it's so inspiring and motivating for me to know you and all the things that you do and your team does Aww. and um, how supportive you've been of me and what we teach. Um, yeah. it's, it's pretty, it's beautiful. And, and thank you so much. Oh, my for, pleasure. For my finally, pleasure. whatever it was that you, we had to break down <laughs> to get you here. <laughs> I know, um, right? But thank you so much. And can you stick thank around? You. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. say goodbye, but I'm going to uh, stick around for a second, okay? Sure. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening this far. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate the support that we get the nice comments and positive feedback. It's very heartwarming and much appreciated. Now, you may have noticed that there's a longer time lapse in between episodes than normal. That's for a few reasons. One reason is we always value quality over quantity. But also, there's a lot going on, good stuff, and we'll have some announcements soon. And in the meantime, I want to thank the great James Bianco for his enormous help with this. I also want to thank the Hannah Bowers for her immense contributions. And until next time, I hope you can stay in a higher octave and let's you and I stay in tune.